ministered in the uh, prophetic uh, presbytery on uh, yesterday and uh, with a couple other brothers. We're just glad to have him here and uh, just want him to go ahead and take his liberty today. And I'll move this out of the way for you, brother. Okay. Uh, I've been reading some of his material on uh, the website that he has, and uh, he started talking about chicken evangelism. And that sounds interesting to me because I'm a chicken, and uh, how can I do evangelism now? <laughs> and, and some of us might be uh, fall in the same boat, so uh, I'm glad he can come and help us. Praise God. By the grace of God. Well, I'll tell you why we, it's chicken evangelism, because I'm the biggest chicken of them all. <laughs> and that is no joke. Ah. <laughs> oh. So I want to thank you, Dale, for inviting Carrie and me here. We've looked up to you for many years, and we still look up to you. Thank you. I also want to mention uh, one of my mentors, Philip Stanley, Philip and, and Helen. Uh, Philip has taught me many things. Where is Philip right now? Okay. Hi, Philip. Uh, Philip prophesied over me that I would be changing into a prophetic ministry. And uh, the problem was I didn't believe him. (laughs) And Carrie says, well, uh, give it a chance, see what happens. Uh, So I did, and lo and behold, the grace of God came through that prophecy. And God has changed me and changed my ministry. So I want to thank you, Philip, for that. And uh, Philip prophesied over me before I was married. And, and uh, it's just a, such a powerful gift, the gift of prophecy. And I want to thank you, God, Philip, and the rest of you use that gift. I also want to thank CJ. Uh, CJ practices a form of evangelism called treasure hunting. If you want to know more about that, talk with CJ. It's fascinating. Uh, it's not something I do, but it works. As I have read about it. My biggest thanks I want to give to my wife, Carrie. Carrie, if you would just stand and smile. And she, she's so pretty, and she's my biggest helper. And I'm so thankful for Carrie. She's a very discerning woman, very prophetic, and I'm very thankful for you. Carrie. I want to also commend all of you who are doing personal evangelism work. Um, I just wonder, how many of you outside of a public meeting, how, how many of you have led someone to Christ in the last couple, three months or so, outside of the meetings? Well, uh, praise God for each and every one of you who has led someone to Christ personally, and um, I'm going to pass around this clipboard. There's a pen here with you if you'll grab this. If you want to contribute a story about how you've led somebody to Christ, send it to me. We publish stories of personal evangelism, and we do it because the church is in a crisis about evangelism, We need to have 
each and every believer part of the army of God to share the stories of how you have led someone to Christ and then keep those stories coming. We also publish stories about apostles, and you can send those as well. I've written a book about apostles. It's been a great help to me personally. It's also been a help to other people. So if you want help in evangelism, sign up on that clipboard. If you have a story of how you've led someone to Christ, sign up there. And we'll publish those stories at chickenevangelism.com. Well, folks, as you know, these are strategic times. Uh, there's never been a time in the world where so many people are being saved right now. We heard that testimony from Ken today. Just fascinating to me. If you can help me remember, 32,000 people are being saved every day in Africa. 25,000 people are being saved every 24 hours in Asia. 17,000 people are being saved every day in Latin America. And some people double these estimates. And this is a day where God is moving in such a fantastic way that it is exciting to be alive. And he didn't even mention North Africa among the Muslims where Christ himself is appearing to people regularly. Some people are, are actually holding viable conversations with the risen Lord Jesus Christ as he appears in Algeria and other places. I heard about this. Uh, we had a man from Algeria who's been saved and, and stayed with us. I went, I go, if you want to know about it, Google uh, Revival in Algeria. And there's just a whole lot of information going on. There's never been a day in the history of the world like we're living in today. Praise God. Praise God. So thank you, Ken, for that ministry. Furthermore, these are... Uh, Times where God is doing things that only he knows fully what he's doing. Look at Israel. I'm not preaching yet. We're just getting ready. But uh, (laughs) these are strategic days. I'm laying some groundwork for what God is doing in America and in the Western world. Uh, These are days where every Israeli is not sleeping well at night. And... Uh, I, I, I think, and this is from my wife, uh, they were watching Noah build that ark. But what were they doing? They were starting their business, marrying their children, but they should have been buying tickets to get on the ark. That was a great judgment of God, and they, they, they lost it. And in our day, God is wanting to prepare people for judgment. It's one of the things God has spoken to me. Prepare the people for judgment. Well, what do we do for judgment? One thing we can do is pray for Israel. They're going through it right now. And as we begin tonight... um, I want to pray for Israel. I ask you to join me. Um, there are two things we can do 
as far, as far as preparing for judgment. One was, is we can evangelize and support evangelists. Because we're the church. And the second thing we can do is pray for Israel. Because we're the church. And we're called upon to bless the chosen people of God. So if you would please lift your hand toward, toward heaven, toward Christ on the throne, the great Jewish leader. Lord, we come before you tonight, calling on you, beckoning for your mercy for your chosen people. Protect the people of Israel. Bless Prime Minister Netanyahu. Bless Mossad. Give them wisdom. Bless their military. Bless their civilians. Guide them and help them, Lord. Let them prosper. And, Lord, let the church in America support Israel. And let us evangelize. Let us be who you called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Saints, I want to honor those of you who are missionaries. You have... You're doing things that are so pleasing to God and a real example to me. What I give is a little bit different tonight, but I want to see God move in North America. So we'll talk tonight of chicken evangelism. Just to lighten things up a little bit, let me ask you this. What do you call a rooster who wakes you up at the same time every morning? A cuckoo clock. (laughs) What do you call a crazy chicken? A cuckoo clock. (laughs) Why did the chick not disappoint his mother? Because he turned out to be all that he was cracked up to be. (laughs) And why did the chicken cross the road, roll in the mud, and cross the road back again? Because he was a dirty double crosser. (laughs) Okay, and why did the chicken cross the road halfway? He wanted to lay it on the line. (laughs) And tonight, folks, I want to lay it on the line with you guys. So, let's go to chicken evangelism, which means bring up Christ before you chicken out. (laughs) I I find that I have about a five-minute window when I meet somebody And if I don't bring up Christ in that first five minutes, I'm scared to do it. But the way to overcome fear is bring up Christ right away. Cut to the chase before you chicken out. So, here it is. Chickenevangelism.com. Bring up Christ right away. If you'd like to contribute stories of how you've led somebody to Christ, sign up there. These stories encourage people, encourage a lot of people 
and I'd like to have you contribute to that as well. Or you can go to chickenevangelism.com and read the stories of numbers of other people. I was a spirit-filled pastor for several years in which I had not led anybody to Jesus Christ outside of a public meeting. You know, it's great to have a public meeting, a church service, or a missionary event, and lead people to Christ. But the problem is this, that 99% of the people who are in your churches, pastors and missionaries, they're not going to be holding public meetings. They're not going to be holding mass crusades. And if we're going to activate our churches, we are going to have to lead people to eternal salvation but not in a meeting, because they're going to be doing what we're doing. And you know the principle. If we're doing it, they're going to try to do it too. But if we're not doing it, they're not going to try to do it either. So we're the example. And I want to say to you, some of you who are apostles or prophets, one of the marks of an apostle is that he opens up new territory. And one of the great territories that needs to be opened up in the Western world today is personal evangelism. So if you're an apostle, I encourage you to lay a foundation in your churches where people see your example of leading people to eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. Well, like I said, for... uh, I pastored for 38 years or so in this one town, but I wasn't leading people to Christ, even in the meetings. And this, I say this to my shame, but for some reason, God gave me a dream. And He said in the dream, lift up your eyes. And see the fields, that they're white for harvest. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to come with me to John chapter 4. Lift up your eyes and see the fields. Now, Eliezer spoke last night, I believe it was a prophetic word where four times God spoke to the father of faith, lift up your eyes. Or Abraham lifted up his eyes because God, even tonight, wants to give fresh vision to people. He wants to give fresh perspective. He wants us to see what he sees. He wants us to feel the heart of the one sitting on the throne. He wants us to know the heart of the one who died for the world. The one who paid the price. The one who got the thorns on the, on his head and the nails in his hands and the burrows on his back. And I don't want to see the death of Jesus Christ go empty. And so in John chapter 4, the story about the Samaritan woman, um, 
We read in verse 35, Don't you, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Now that's not just a word for Africa or Asia. Now, Carrie and I have been in Africa and Malawi. Uh, we've been in, in revival there. And every house in which we knocked on the door, people were saved. Now, that's revival. Young men, old men, women and children. Every house people were saved. We, we came to this one place, it was either a junkyard or a repair shop. Sometimes you can't tell the difference. And there were three guys sitting in the front. And I began to give them the gospel. And the guy says, stop. And I thought, well, what would I say to offend you? And he said, stop. I want to go get my friend. I want him to hear what you're saying. And we came and gave them the gospel as well. Now, that's revival when they go get their friends. They want people to hear the good news. Well, Jesus spoke this in the dream. Lift up your eyes. See the fields. They're white for harvest. Well, speedy man that I am, I waited four months before I dared try it. And after about four months, I thought, well, if Jesus really said this, I better try something. See if the fields are really white. And so a guy, we, uh, we raise and sell grass-fed lamb. I got started. This guy came and, and uh, we butchered the lamb. And I took a deep breath and I said, have you ever received Jesus Christ into your life? And he said, no. No, I never had. And I didn't know what to say after that. And so uh, God helped me, gave me, I believe it was a word of wisdom, really, as I look back. But I said, but you'd like to, though, wouldn't you? And he said, yes, I would. And so I, I gave him the gospel. I gave him the, the, Jesus Christ died for your sins. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he has a free gift for you. And I said, does that make sense to you? And he kind of nodded and I said, would you like to receive Jesus Christ in your life right today? And he said, well, yeah, I would, but I don't know how. And I says, well, uh, uh, pray, pray after me. And so I prayed a prayer, and he prayed right after me. You know, the simple prayer of faith, dear Lord Jesus, I confess my sins to you. Come into my heart. Forgive me my sins. And and thank you for saving me, and and so on, and very simple prayer. And um, many times God gives a witness, and you, you've seen that too. And and they look up, and and their their countenance is radiant and changed. And that's how this this man was. He didn't speak very good English, but he he was a changed man from right then, and. 
I knew God was working in him. And he didn't know quite what to say, but he said, I want to be a nice man. And I knew he was expressing Jesus Christ from within. I knew he was a new creature in Christ Jesus from that moment on. I knew that his old life had passed away. And now, as best he could say, I want to be like Jesus. And so I was happy for him. And, and uh, I thought, wow. So the next day I went to his house to follow up on him. And I, I went there to his home. And he was cutting down a tree, so I got the axe and helped him cut down the tree and his wife came out of the uh, house and and I went over and talked with her and I said your husband has just received Jesus and I said uh, uh, would you like to hear good news and I gave her the gospel and, and then asked her would you like to receive Jesus like your husband did and she said yes I would and so uh, I led her to Christ then right then and I thought Wow, this is, maybe Jesus was right after all. (laughs) Uh, I remember the story of D.L. Moody. Uh, You know, the shoe salesman turned evangelist. D.L. Moody went to uh, London for crusade and Hundreds, perhaps thousands, were being saved through his ministry. And one of his hosts was a, a, a well-educated uh, doctor-type fellow, a, a theologian, a, a pastor, a good heart. He'd invited D.L. Moody there. And he said, uh, Mr. Moody, what's the difference between you and me? Uh, I preach... Few, if any, are saved. But you preach, and the altars are flooded with converts. D.L. Moody said, let's go to the window. They were on the third floor of an apartment. And Mr. Moody said to the, the pastor, he says, look out this window and tell me what you see. And the pastor said, well, I see a park. And I see some trees, and there's a stream running through the middle, and a few people are scattered here and there. And, and um, Mr. Moody says, look again. Look harder. And so the pastor looked out the window again, and he said, well, in addition to the trees and the stream and so on, I... I see a bridge, and I see cars. There's a lady pushing a baby cart along the sidewalk, and there's, there's a cluster of people here and a cluster of people there. And, well, Mr. Moody, what do you see? Moody said, I see souls destined for hell. It all depends on what we see. And Jesus said, lift your eyes, lift them up. As God spoke to Abraham, 
lift your eyes. Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw things he'd never seen before. And tonight I'm believing that God will give new perspective. By the way, I just want to say, if you're leading people to Christ, you don't need me. You don't need this ministry. You just keep on doing what you're doing, folks. But I need God's help in this much. Continually, I need to lift up my eyes. I pray, God, let me see people as you see people. One evangelist prayed, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyelids. I pray that prayer. I I pray, Lord, lead me to the hungry. Because I know that people are going to hell unsaved because we haven't told them and God's wanting us to tell them. Now, I got cancer a while back. Praise God, I'm uh, last test I showed, there are no, no tumors and that kind of thing. Uh, but when I was in chemo, I experienced hell. I experienced the devil. I experienced the demons. I experienced the isolation. I experienced what I can only call hell. And I couldn't shake it. And it was a place that I want nobody to go, ever. Not everyone who experiences chemo goes through that, but I did. The demons, the terror, the darkness. It's terrible. Mr. Moody saw people destined for that place, and he wanted to rescue them. It was C.T. Studd, the great evangelist to the Orient, who said, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's the heart of God. That's why he got the punishment for all sin, for all men, for all time. He was willing to do it. So God says to us tonight, lift up your eyes. Let the vision of God come. Let us see what Jesus sees. Step back a moment into this same chapter, John chapter 4. As we read on, I know that people are waiting for revival. Now, praise God, I believe there will be greater revival coming. But Jesus said, already, that's now, he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life. We don't have to wait for a revival. Already it's happening. Oh. 
Verse 37, for in this case, this is the case of evangelism. That's the context. In the case of evangelism, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap. Jesus said it. I sent you to reap. Now, some of us are satisfied with witnessing but Jesus is not totally satisfied with that. He says, I've sent you to reap. I've sent you to reap that for which you've not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. When it comes to evangelism, very seldom will you disciple the one you lead to Christ. Now, maybe on the mission field, you do. But according to Jesus, very seldom will the sower also be the reaper? Jesus says there's a division of labor. There's an organizational principle going on. One sows, another reaps. And we need to grab a hold of this principle if we're going to reap souls. Because the fact of the matter is, many people in America, in the Western world, have heard the gospel, but they haven't had the courage to step ahead. They're chickens, too. So what we have are two chickens to meet it together. (laughs) Cluck, cluck. (laughs) And so Jesus wants to encourage us today, lift up our eyes, see the fields. Those guys are ready. Not everybody, but many of them are. Well, one sows. Another reaps. I got started, and I found, to my surprise, that people are ready to receive Christ or at least listen. Here's Dave Kerr. Dave, Dave became the, uh, the leader of our men's group at our church. His wife was in the church, but uh, he wasn't. He's an old tough guy, riverboat captain on the Mississippi, diver out there. First time, maybe the second time I ever saw Dave, I said, Dave, have you received Jesus Christ in your life? He said, I have a different way of looking at things. So I just listened, and time went on. He became the leader of our men's group. Here's Flynn Collier. Flynn's a real servant of God. First, maybe second time I met Flynn, I asked him, Flynn, have you received Jesus Christ in your life? And he said, I don't talk about that. And he said it with a period at the end. Well, I didn't talk about that. But lo and behold, two weeks later, Flynn Collier showed up at church uninvited and he's become one of the greatest servants in the church. We had some flood damage just recently. Flynn was the first one there to come and help out. People wonder, does chicken evangelism make disciples? The answer is yes, it does. It's part of the discipleship process. 
Sometimes it happens right away. Sometimes it's later. Here's a happy man. He received Jesus Christ days ago. I'll tell you how it happened. Uh, he came to the house with a friend to buy some lamb. And I talked with his friend. Have you received Jesus Christ into your life? His friend said, yes, I had. I said, praise God. I have too. And this guy didn't speak a whole lot of English, so I was kind of ignoring him. But I wanted to lead somebody to Jesus. And so I, I said, have you received Jesus Christ into your life? And he said, uh, no, I'm not religious. And so I, I says, well, I'm not religious either, but uh, I am following Jesus. And I have really good news for you, that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from your sins. Uh, I want to make the gospel glorious to people. I was excited about it. And I said, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And he has a wonderful gift for you. It's a free gift. It's not what you do and don't do. It's not how often you go to church or, or any of that kind of stuff. It's But have you received Jesus Christ in your life? And he looked at his friend. His friend interpreted something to him. And, and I said, um, would you like to receive Jesus Christ right now? And he talked with his friend again. And I don't know what they said. Uh, but I pressed it. I said, uh, do you understand what I'm saying? He said, yes. Would you like to receive Jesus Christ into your life? He said, yes, I would. And so he prayed that prayer, sinner's prayer. He prayed silently. I said, uh, you can pray out loud or you can pray silently. I don't care which, but if you pray silently, let me know when you're done. And he prayed about a minute. And he looked up, and that's the smile he had on his face. Here's a woman in our church, Ronnie Thomas, pictured here with her grandchildren. Uh, Ronnie went to buy a security system at some store. She talked with a sales clerk. The sales, she asked him, uh, do you have Jesus in your heart? And he said, no, I'm, I'm not sure about that. And she says, well, you need to be sure. You, you could die tonight on your way home. And, but he did not want to receive Jesus there at the time. And she said, okay, but I'll pray for you. And uh, the, next, uh, the next day she went back to that same store with some problem and uh, met the same clerk, and the clerk came up to Ronnie Thomas, and he said, you know what? As soon as I left my work last night, after you'd talked with me, I went out to the car, and the first thing I did was ask Jesus Christ to come into my life. Praise God. Praise God. And then he said to Ronnie, I told my daughter about it that same night, and she received Jesus Christ into her life. Praise God. There's a lot of people ready out there, folks. And then we found out later, Ronnie must have had a lot of trouble with her security system. She kept going back to this tour. And this guy told her that uh, the daughter who had received Christ through the man, through the clerk that she'd led to the Lord, that this daughter went to the Lutheran church, enrolled in confirmation class, so she could be discipled and learn more about God. Does, Chris, does chicken evangelism make disciples? 
Many times it does, yes. Well, Ronnie's a bold witness. A policeman stopped her on the road for speeding or something, and she led the policeman to Christ, too. (laughs) Here's our daughter. Daughter loves life. Daughter Sarah is a soul winner. Uh, She has talked with two university presidents, college presidents, about the Lord. I was chicken to talk to the college president where I used to work as, as college chaplain. Sarah, our daughter, just led a man to Christ just uh, a, a couple week, a few weeks ago. People, no matter how old we are, say, we've got the good news. We've got the message. We've got what people need. We've got what it takes. We've got what people are looking for. We've got what people are hungry for. We've got what God wants to give. I want to give to you a a principle that I've learned. Uh, I call it chicken evangelism. This is one of the first principles, and it's the law of first encounter. And I found it just by reading the Bible. Never heard it from anybody else before, but it's... It's this, the first meeting of any two people offers unprecedented opportunity for mutual benefit. Now, we all know this, and we have aphorisms to to think about this. Uh, Love at first sight. Heard a good testimony about that tonight. And then uh, this one, uh, your first impression is usually your best. I mean, we, we know this first impression kind of thing. We know this... This law of first encounter, just intrinsically, it's part of us. And these, these marketing gurus will say something like this. You've only got one chance to make a good impre- first impression. Make it a good one. You know, this is part of our culture. Let's apply it to evangelism. It's more powerful than we could ever think. And if we bring up Christ right away, we're not going to chicken out. If we wait, we have too much at stake. And if you're like me, I'm just plain scared. I tell these stories uh, to people about leading people to Christ. They think I'm very bold. But I just admit, I'm scared. That's why I bring up Christ right away. And I found this is the way to overcome fear. Don't raise your hand, but how many are scared to bring up Christ with friends or strangers? Here's the question. Did Jesus see the law of first encounter and go by it? Stop and think. How long did Jesus know Philip before he ministered to him? Seconds. Jesus ministered to Peter at their first meeting, and he even changed his name. Jesus got right in there. You're Cephas. I'm going to call you Peter. Change his nature. Jesus spoke to Nathanael through a life-changing word of knowledge at their first encounter. 
These are all from John chapter 1. Go to Mark. Jesus called James and John to follow him. When? After he got to know him? Uh-uh. He took the risk. First encounter. Powerful. If we use it, God will use it. Jesus spoke to Matthew with a first encounter call, follow me. Jesus initiated a conversation and healed a paralyzed man at the sheep gate at their first encounter. Jesus healed the blind man by making a, a spitball and sending him to the pool of Siloam the first time he ever saw him. Jesus ministered to Zacchaeus in such a way that this little tax collector experienced a sudden conversion. Was it based on relationship? Uh Uh-uh. Zacchaeus, you come down, or I must go to your house today. First encounter, evangelism. The list could go on and on. Jesus was training his people, and he sent out the twelve, and almost all of their contacts were first encounter people. They were random one-offs. First time they ever met him. Then he sent out the 70. There's a principle of evangelism Jesus used. Now, I'm all for relationship evangelism. I, I support every kind of evangelism. Praise God for every form. And there, there are scores of different kinds of evangelism. And if you're doing some of these, praise God. Keep doing what you're doing as long as it's working. Let's do it. But here's what Jesus did. Bring bring God into the first conversation. Almost the entire ministry of Jesus, of his outreach ministry, was with first-timers. Now let's look at this closely. Jesus ministered to a few that he, 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 he basically started his church with. He discipled a few, and those are the 12. And there were some women tagging along regularly with him. And then there was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. I almost said Peter, Paul, and Mary, but that was before the time. So now stop and think with me. Besides these that I just mentioned, who can you name that Jesus spent a lot of time with. I'll say them again. The 12, some of the women, and Peter, Paul, and Mary. (laughs) So besides those, who, who, you know, uh, help me out. Who did Jesus spend a lot of time with? Who did he? Who did he? See, you can't name them. You can't, you, you just can't. And this was an eye-opener for me. This was, this was revelation stuff. Now, again, I'm for relationship evangelism. I think it's ideal in so many ways. And on the mission field, maybe it's the only way if you're the, if you're the only leader there. But I will say this, that Jesus 
discipled a few, but he reached the multitudes. Jesus' outreach ministry was approximately 100% with one-offs and strangers. And if we're going to be effective in evangelism wherever we are, it's going to be by following the law of first encounter. Because that's what Jesus did. Well, here's another principle of chicken evangelism, and I love it. I really love it. It's, it's really helped me. It's really freed me. Carrie and I do this. We're teaching people uh, wherever we are to do this. Jesus said, you know the Great Commission. We've heard it this week. It's, it's powerful. It's strong. And it's the, uh, all authority in heaven on earth. Get it again. All authority in heaven on, er- on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Now, some margins of some Bibles will have it. Literally, it can be translated, as you're going, make disciples. His authority is behind us. And he's saying, as you're going, make disciples. Now, this has freed me so much. Now, praise God for some churches, mainly Baptists, who have a Wednesday night or Thursday night or Tuesday night uh, time of evangelism. But Jesus said, as you're going, as you're going to Walmart, make disciples. Uh, we went to Walmart a while back to get a printer. Uh, There's a guy there helping us, and family went off to look at some more printers. And I asked this young man, I said, have you received Jesus Christ in your life? And he said, no, I haven't. And I gave him the, the, the message uh, of the gospel. Jesus Christ died for your sins, and he rose again from the dead. Uh, he's offering you a free gift. Uh, would you like to receive this free gift? And the salesman said, yes, right there in Walmart. And he, he, he prayed the prayer of salvation right there. Then he moved back to Puerto Rico, and I never saw him again. So I had to trust Jesus Christ. And I just want to say to you guys, I have learned to trust Jesus Christ. Uh, Some more about that as time goes on. As you're going, we're called to make disciples. Uh, One Sunday morning, we're going to church. Uh, I need to stop for gas on the way. And uh, on the way there to church, there's this college guy at the counter. I went to the bathroom and I came back and I said, have you received Jesus Christ into your life? And he says, well, my, my mom goes to church. So you know exactly, you missionaries, what that means. So I had that open door. I talked with him. I gave him the gospel. I said, Jesus Christ died for your sins. And he rose again from the dead. And he has a free gift for you. Would you like to receive the free gift of God? Have your name written in his big book of life. Have your sins forgiven. And the college guy said, I would. And so we prayed the prayer of salvation right there at the counter. I was praying, don't let any more customers come to this gas station. And and um, just... 
that we had a wedding renewal service at our church, marriage renewal service, but the bride didn't show up. <laughs> and while we're waiting for the bride to show up, there's a guy from Chicago came. And you remember that, Carrie? I, uh, I gave the guy, as I can see it right now, it's by the window. I said, uh, have you received Jesus Christ into your life? And he, he didn't know what to say. Uh, and so I gave him the gospel message. And he, I said, do you understand it? This was at the wedding or marriage renewal ceremony, waiting for the bride. And he, he said, uh, well... Um, yeah, I, uh, I'll think about it. And I says, you do that. I'm going to go talk with my wife. I'll be back in a few minutes. And then let me know how it happens. Uh, and so we came back in a few minutes. And he looked at me and he said, this is, that was weird. But it was a good kind of weird. And he had that radiance all over his face. And I knew that he'd received Jesus into his life. He said, Nobody ever explained it to me like this before. And so I just want to, I want to, I just want to say, as you're going, make disciples. Not only to Africa and India and so on, but as you're going around the U.S., make disciples. Well, here's something that is, I can't say how powerful this is. I believe in every kind of prayer. And Jesus said, ask and it be given to you. So I, I believe in praying for the unsaved. But, and I learned this in a tract from some group called Eventel many years ago. And I, I thought it was great. But it's come back to me in the last few years. And it is powerful, folks. This will release us. There's six scriptures that are, that are closely connected, clearly connected with prayer and evangelism. There's six scriptures and only six that connect prayer and evangelism together. I'm going to give you two of them right now. One of them is this. You can come to, with me to Ephesians chapter 6, something you all know. Ephesians chapter 6. In 18, he talks about being alert, petition for all the saints. Then St. Paul says, and pray on my behalf. Pray for me that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly that I ought to speak. So here's Paul. He's saying, pray for me because I, I need your help. I need your prayers. I'm having trouble opening my mouth. I want to make the gospel clear. And I want to do it boldly, but I need your help. Say, pray for me. Here's another one. Matthew 9, 37, 38. You know it probably by heart. Uh, Jesus looked on the multitudes. They were distressed and downcast. 
And he says, the harvest is plentiful. There it is again. The harvest is plentiful. Lift up your eyes. See the harvest. May God give us tonight a new perspective. May we see what Jesus sees. He sees people are ready to receive salvation. Many people are waiting for you to come and show them how to receive Jesus as Savior. The harvest is plentiful. That was not just for this time. The voice of God echoes through the corridors of time. Outside of Israel, outside of Africa, outside of India, outside of Asia, he's saying to America, the harvest is plentiful. Don't say yet four months and then the harvest comes. I'm here to bring revival in the United States of America. I'm here to bring revival in Western Europe. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What's Jesus' solution? Pray that the Lord of the harvest sends out workers into his harvest. Now, he didn't say pray for the unsaved that they'll get saved. Now, that's a good prayer. I pray it sometimes. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for the unsaved. But I will say this as clearly as I possibly can. there There are six scriptures and only six that clearly link prayer and evangelism. And we need to learn how to pray. The prayer is not for the unsaved nearly as much as it is praying for the church that will be released into the calling that God has given for us. Here is the one who, who, who has sanctified us, who set us apart, he suffered for us, and he said, open your mouth. People are ready. It's not their problem as much as God is wanting to heal our problem. The chains are broken, is a message of the first night. The chains are broken, folks. We can see what Jesus sees. We can feel what Jesus feels. And his heart is for the lost. No matter what age we are right now, there are people that are storekeepers that you talk with, they'll never go to a meeting, but they are ripe for the harvest of God. Just think of that. God's called us to reap, and they're right there in front of us. Not everybody, but there are many. You can find the other scriptures. You can go to the website chickenevangelism.com and find those scriptures. Now, here's something that is, I don't know how to say this, because, okay, you all know the gospel, right? I, I, I believe you do. But I've, uh, I, I've done this with groups of people, and I say, what is the gospel? Write it out in, in a simple way. Just in a nutshell, what's the gospel? So think with me. If you would, please, all of you dedicated missionaries and missionaries, in a, in a nutshell, what is the gospel? You young people, what, what is the gospel? 
Well, if we go to First Corinthians chapter 15, you can read it there. Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance. There's, there's nothing ever, ever, there's nothing more important than this. Here's the gospel. And this is the Bible definition of what the gospel is. And frankly, this has helped me so much. Before I shared the gospel, people were not getting saved. But when I started sharing the gospel in the simplest form that I could, Jesus Christ died for our sins. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. People started getting saved. And along with that, I used the name of Jesus because there's power in the name of Jesus. So if you could just whisper the gospel, if you're willing, Jesus Christ died for our sins. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, why is that so powerful? Because every man, woman, and child with few exceptions, knows they're a sinner. And so immediately, in in a way that does not condemn people, they are convicted of their sin. But they are lifted from sin in the same breath. We're saying you're a sinner, but Jesus died for your sins. And I'm offering you a free gift of salvation. Grab it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The Jew first and also to the Gentile. It's God's way of righting wrong. And we're the, we're the church. We're the only entity on earth who has the power to forgive, bring people to forgiveness of sin. Use the gospel. Well, here's chicken evangelism in a nutshell. Uh, the law of first encounter, the vision for the lost, how to pray for the unsaved, be filled with spirit. We haven't talked about it tonight, but I believe in the power of being filled with spirit, speaking in tongues. It keeps us filled with spirit. And this has liberated me. As you're going, as you're going, make disciples. Oh, and what is the gospel? That's when people started getting saved, when I gave them the gospel. I don't know what I was giving them before. I'd like to have heard my, me. <laughs> I was witnessing to some people. But when I gave them the gospel, they started getting saved. And here's one. What would Jesus do about follow-up? Now, I, I admit this is controversial. And you can correct me if you, if you want to. But let me ask you this question again, because we're getting new perspective on things. We're seeing the harvest is ripe. Okay, here's the question. In Jesus' ministry, outside of those 12 and the ladies who tagged along, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, with whom did Jesus follow up? You look at me pretty blank. But, no, I, I, I like to trick people and so on. I, I know I do that sometimes at church. But, but 
Give me their names. With whom did Jesus follow up outside of those those ones? Yes. Yes, he did. That's the blind man. We don't know his name, but he followed up with the blind man. And folks, there's one other time Jesus followed up. Twice, and they're both in the book of John, that Jesus actually followed up with those that he had ministered to outside of that core group of disciples. Now, the core group is significant because he built his church with it. But again, Jesus reached the multitudes, but he discipled a few. Now, here's what here, I used to always teach. If you, if you bring a baby to birth, you're responsible for him. You've got to train him, bring him along. But the question is, what would Jesus do? Well, we need to do what Jesus did, and that's let the Holy Spirit lead. I'm not saying don't follow up. I'm just saying let the Holy Spirit lead. Some, uh, we led a man to Christ uh, a while back as an old farmer. We wrote him a letter following up with him and so on. But the, the point is this. Uh, it freed me. There's a number of people that I would not witness to because I knew I could never follow them up. And I was in a certain bondage that Jesus was not in. I just want to say, take the liberty the Holy Spirit's giving. If he's leading you to follow up, follow up. Just do what Jesus did. Let's check an evangelism in a nutshell. Well, it's all about love, compassion, and respect. It was Carrie who pointed out to me that Chicken evangelism is so respectful to people. Do you want to share anything on that? Okay. It's, uh, you know, we have hearts for God. We want to see people saved. And, and, and oftentimes we, we, we have in the past wanted to work a conversation around to the point where we can talk about Jesus. Have you ever done that? Yeah. Well, Christian uh, chicken evangelism is so respectful to people because it's up front. People respect somebody who's just positive and up front. And I found if you ask people, have you received Jesus Christ in your life? They respect that. And surprising to me, nine out of ten people say either yes, I have or no, I haven't. And I've also been surprised it's not offended people. Rarely, if ever, has that ever offended anybody. I'm not positive I've ever offended anybody by asking this simple question. And here's the next thing that surprised me, is once you open the gate to talk about Jesus, you have a friend. Once people know that we're going to listen to them and hear their story, it's hard to turn them off. We went to a mall, talked with a guy about Christ one time. 
We could not get away from that guy. Uh, people, people share their most intimate secrets. Uh, I went to a, a hardware store to get some ducts from a guy. And I, a 76-year-old man, I asked him, have you received Jesus Christ into your life? And he said, well, uh, yes and no. So what do you do with that? I gave him the gospel message. And then he said, well, I don't go to church like I ought to, but I do pray. And I said, praise God. That's wonderful because men need encouragement. And so then I began to listen to him. And he told me the three greatest traumas in his whole life. His cancer, his wife dying, and something else. Okay, here's what is so commonly thought. You get a friend, and then you talk with them about Jesus. But I'm saying, you talk about Jesus, and you're going to have a friend. And I've seen it dozens and dozens of times. Here's how God is really working in me. Lately, he's giving me compassion, more compassion. I witnessed to a guy at Casey's, his name was Chris, a really big guy. I gave him the gospel, and he didn't want to receive. And I left that place, and I, it, just, it just came over me. I, I just felt such compassion for that man. He's, he, he's, he's unsaved. He's going to hell. Unless he receives. So I pray for Chris from time to time. We were on the way here for, uh, in El Dorado. There's a girl named Lacey at the checkout desk and I asked her, have you received Jesus Christ in your life? And she, she wasn't sure. I gave her the gospel message and, and, and she wasn't ready to receive. So I said, will you think about it? Get your Bible, read it. She said she would. You know, beginning some discipleship there. And then I realized she's, she's not, probably not saved. And just such compassion. And, and what's coming over me, the more I do this, is the more of Christ. It just didn't happen all at once. I'm, I'm just growing in this. I'm learning in this thing. God is doing a deeper work in me. I'm finding that I care more about these people. I don't want them to go to hell. I want them to be saved. Well, saints, here, uh, here in a few minutes, uh, we're going to cut to the chase of this matter in, in that the thing God really wants to do tonight is give us a new perspective. He wants us to see what he sees, that the fields really are white for harvest. But before I go into that, I, I just, I want to, I want to put this into a more prophetic uh, perspective. If you'll listen to me just, just, uh, just briefly. Uh, what's going on in our world today? As Ken shared and others have shared, there is a revival going on in the world today that's unprecedented in the history of the Christian church. And folks, we're a part of that. We are seeing people saved. 
And I am believing that there is a revival underground in America right now that's going on, and the only thing it's lacking is the witness of the believer in Jesus Christ. If we're witnessing, we're going to be seeing people saved just like they are in these foreign countries. God is not a respecter of person, and he says, lift up your eyes. Get a new perspective. See the fields. They are white for harvest right now. That's your mission field and mine. Now, we've caught some snippets of the news. And as I read this last scripture with you here in Acts chapter 2, We find that part of this scripture has already been fulfilled. Acts chapter 2 is Peter's Pentecost sermon. And it shall be, as he quotes Joel, it shall be in the last days. God says. So we have a clue right here. We're in the last days because in that time I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. And folks, we know this is already being fulfilled. 1948, great outpouring, charismatic movement following, began in 1907 in Salon, Wales, Azusa Street, and some places even before that. We know there's pouring out of the Spirit in these last days. But the next part has not yet been fulfilled. As we read on, And I will grant, same prophecy, same word from Joel, And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before this great and terrible, glorious day of the Lord shall come. Now, we don't know all that's happening in Israel right now. If you want up-to-date notes, talk with Howard. He gets notes every five minutes, I believe, what's happening in Israel right now. But, uh, saints, uh, again, I don't know. But as I've read this over the years, I've thought there's going to be a time where the sun would be turned to darkness and it would just stay dark for months. Well, that'd be a great sign, wouldn't it? There would be unbelievers coming to Christ. But maybe it's just a solar eclipse. And the moon turned to blood, blood red. You know that there's unbelievers are... If we're not interested in the blood moons, unbelievers are right now. Use it as an evangelistic tool. Because the Bible says in the prophecy of Joel, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before this great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saints, let's put this in prophetic perspective. We are in latter times. We are in the days of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is not just a missional conference. This is a prophetic conference taking place on the eve of one of the great wars going on in the Middle East. 
Let's keep our ears open to what God is doing. This is a day of salvation. This is a day when God wants the church to have eyes uplifted and ears open. I'm going to pray a prayer for the entire congregation. And if God is moving with you, if you're touched, if you have a hope, if you have a sense that Jesus Christ died for these friends and neighbors that you shop with, and you want to reach him, I'm inviting you to come to this altar and let God fill what's inside. I'm asking you to come to the altar before you have the prayer team ministered with you. And if God's filling you great, and if you want to minister with the prayer team, yes, we will invite the prayer team. But first of all, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And I invite you to the altar to meet God. Let him give a vision for the lost. And then if you wish, me with a prayer team. Are you ready? Jesus said, don't wait four months. Okay. However you pray the best. God, I admit it. I am a scaredy cat. I admit I'm a chicken. And I thank you for St. Paul who prayed this prayer. Pray for me too. Tonight I'm asking you to give a vision of the fields that are white for harvest wherever we live. Holy Spirit, plant, plant in us a new perspective. Whether you do it right now or these next days, do it however and whenever you wish. And with this vision, I ask you to give an anointing for personal evangelism as well as mass evangelism. That we would be that prophetic people who bring eternal salvation to lost and empty people in our day. We wait upon you, O God. Amen. I invite you, if, if, if God is working with you, to bend down at the altar. Let him work. Mm-hmm.